Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. And today it is April 1st, Friday, about 12.45 p.m. Um, 2022. And I know it's April Fool's, but I ain't going to do another April Fool's episode. I was never really good at those, <laughs> um, those types of pranks anyways. Um, just happened to be a good time to talk, you know. Over the last couple of days... I've been trying to <laughs> get my story out, so I think I mentioned it uh, either last episode or the one before that, but there was this great um, solo punk kind of um, contest for story submissions around solo punk and cyberpunk stories, and I wanted to write a story about a tree, you know, about trees rebelling from the perspective of trees, and... <laughs> I was procrastinating a lot over the last couple of weeks with that story because I was uh, doing a whole lot of research about trees. Like I, I knew that they were connected through the mycelium network, but I didn't know the particulars and all this other stuff. And then I was, you know, um, learning more about uh, about um, social ecology and ev- revolutions and anarchy and all this other stuff, and trying to bring all these different things together in my story. Uh, All the while learning how to write too Because I never actually written My own fictional story Um, At least not since like You know, 5th grade or something (laughs) So it was a lot You know, I I probably put way too much on my plate And I was literally up to the last minute Last night getting this done But I did Well, not really, okay To be honest with you, I, I made the first draft Which was like, I call it a scrub Which, um it's like, I'm not sure if I came up with that or my partner came up with that. She probably came up with that. But, you know, we just kind of, we, we recognize that we get, um, I don't know, anxious when we write. Uh, me when I'm writing like regular articles and things like that. Her when she's writing stories. Like we tend to overthink and stuff like that and try to get it perfect. And that makes it very difficult for us to actually write. So what we do is after we create a you know bare bones outline of what we want to do what we want to talk about we then start scrubbing which is like you know just 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 writing a bunch of ideas and the general you know story or the general thing that we want to write which could be as detailed as we want or as you know um um (laughs) non-detailed as basic as we want um it doesn't sometimes it has like the exact language we want to use in the text sometimes it does not um, but it's a good way of just getting everything out, you know, so we can work on it. So that's what I did. Um, but <laughs> the problem is I didn't start doing that until like two days ago. <laughs> so yesterday I finished it and then I was trying to turn this whole scrub into an actual story and it just did not work out. Um, so I ended up just sending in my, my, scr- <laughs> uh, my scrub, uh, basically, which is just, me narrating most of the uh the story so unfortunately i don't think it makes for a good story actually like it doesn't actually show rather than tell it tells just everything um just explains everything of what happened but i hope it's an interesting enough idea and enough themes and and enough stuff going on that you know they'll like it anyways but I don't know. Either way, I'm fine. I'm happy that I got something out because um, the whole point of this 
is that I wanted to do it, all right? <laughs> just like when I wrote my, my first book, like I, I, want, I just wanted to do it. I want to see if I can do it. And regardless of the, the end result um, or the form of the result, you know, I think putting something out there is better than nothing. And furthermore, it's not like a product, right? It's not something I expect people to pay for, to consume. It's really just an expression of what I can do. Yeah, but um, I think I'm definitely going to keep working on this, all right? Regardless of if I get chosen, I'm going to refine this, try to turn it into an actual story. There's another um, similar kind of uh, solo punk-ish contest or submission form that they're, that another, you know, uh, publication was was uh, open to, was calling submissions for. So that one is due in, in a month, I think. I think May 5th or something like that. So I'll probably work on this story and turn it into an actual story for that one. <laughs> or just tell a, a different story in the same universe, but use many of these same ideas that I figured out in this one. But either way, um, yeah, it was a really great experience nonetheless. But I really need to do better <laughs> with the procrastinating. Um, like, I, I do think, once again, I've turned this into a skill. Like, if I would have started earlier, I, I wouldn't have learned as much as I ha- as much as much I did about this space. Because a lot of the things I've learned, like the things about social ecology, I didn't even come across that stuff until earlier this week. Right? And I didn't, I didn't even know to look for this stuff. Like, it just kind of happened. Right? <laughs> like something in my feet. Um, oh, that's what it was from. The uh, Seriously Wrong podcast. Go check that out. I'll, I'll put some links in the uh, description of this podcast. But the Seriously Wrong podcast is an absolutely phenomenal um, podcast. It's been been very, uh, been there for a very long time. And they talk about all sorts of, you know, ideas around how to create a better world. Um by you know usually by kind of uh what you call it um debunking you know all the bad ideas out there why so many of these ideas out there are, are seriously wrong or really bad um so they started this series talking about uh murray bookchin and i that's why i heard about this term of social ecology and it was just phenomenal stuff so yeah, like, it's stuff like that that I wouldn't have learned about. And there's a lot of other, you know, um, little pieces in here and there, here and there. But either way, like, even though I, I did have turned procrastination to a skill, it's still a problem. Because I know I could have done better. You know, I definitely could have, you know, turned something in that was much better than this. Much more polished, much more finished if I had, you know, made more time for it. So, going forward, I want to create my own deadlines. I know I said I, I, I did this before, or, or that I will do this before, but I didn't. <laughs> but it, it does work for me to create actual deadlines. I've done it for, you know, um, last year when I was practicing those different productivity kind of uh, methods and processes. So, knowing that this next story is, is due May 5th, I'm going to set a deadline for myself probably in two weeks or so to have a scrub done and then a week after that to have the the first full draft done and then you know the week after that to have it finalized and polished or something like that um 
all the while I'll still be researching and stuff like that but I'll just keep it open for myself such that if I find a really interesting idea in the intervening time then I will simply incorporate that into the story that I already have rather than waiting until <laughs> I get enough information on whatever the threshold for enough is uh, before I you know start the story but yeah um, in addition to all of that I've been working on trying to find people to join my team for the Solarpunk software that I've been uh, talking about I spent the last episode talking about that so I got some great feedback on the folks that I you know reached out to unfortunately they won't really be available to join the team which I figured I seem to know a lot of a lot of great people, talented people that are just super busy <laughs> all the time. Um, so I respect that. Um, but that just bit me in the in the, in the bind because <laughs> um, even though I think I can probably build the mock-up myself and maybe maybe even struggle to build a prototype myself, it's gonna be really hard to convince you know the the uh judges or whatever of this of this uh grant committee or whatever they call themselves to you know bring me in <laughs> to accept my proposal if i can't show you know that i can do this if i don't have the the resources the team to do it um and i really want to work with some some people right i want to work with some people that are that are talented developers and urban planners and so on and so forth so I don't know. I still have some some more avenues to pursue. You know, put out an open call with with uh, the Open Metaverse Interoperability Group and some other groups like that that I'm in. Hopefully, some folks respond. But uh, we'll, we shall see. Um, let me see some other stuff I'm working on. I mean, th those are the main things right there. To be honest with you. Um, I, I do want to focus on, on getting these things done. Um, still been working on the Storyverse with my partner. And uh, we've, we've gotten some exciting stuff down. So I <laughs> really hope um, she, she gets to make more time to you know get her story out. So the Storyverse, uh, kind of refresher on that. Over the past couple of years, my partner and I have been creating a Afrocentric um, Storyverse, right? A, a fictional world that incorporates a lot of the ideas and traditions and um, um, concepts and stuff like that from African culture, literature, and so on, right? In addition to just our own, you know, I ideas and fantasies and and desires and stuff like that, stuff that we wanted to see in today's fiction but don't really see right so we built the, the kind of core of this world the story verse is a a magical plane um that kind of exists outside of you know the regular stream of time and space and which is able to incorporate you know ideas from all across the universe and all these other things so we can do a lot of fun stuff with it <laughs> in this in this space. Um, it's a primarily kind of fantasy, high fantasy, you know, magic system that we have here because I love you know <laughs> really intricate magic systems. 
Um, but she is more of a soft magic system type of person and the focus is on characters and things like that. Um, so we definitely complement each other there. But uh, we have created a, a vast world in which there are, um, well, we're, we're completely kind of replenishing it, but originally we created eight main kingdoms or queendoms, um, all based on the kind of biggest African nations and, and kingdoms from Earth. But over the past year, as we both have been getting more and more into anarchy and things like that, and just learning about our history, we realized that we were ourselves stepping into this same kind of problem of assuming that hierarchy or, you know, civilization has to be, you know, hierarchical. Like, we, 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 step in, we stepped right into that. Um, so we wanted to kind of redo the whole space where instead of there being a whole bunch of kingdoms or queendoms, there were, you know, different peoples just living in these different areas and more or less horizontal, you know, um, aspects. And despite their nomadic or, you know, egalitarian, you know, living, they are still highly advanced, right? Because that's a, that's a huge kind of problem with today's propaganda um, is that the idea that you can't have an advanced civilization, you know, without hierarchy. And so we wanted to explore that. We would have said, no, no, no. You know, I think that's kind of problematic, right? If we can't imagine a world without hierarchy, then how are we ever going to build a more equal world, all right? So we want to take that opportunity to turn our world into a space for that, all right? So uh, I don't want to spoil too much because a lot of it will be, you know, shown in her stories. And we have a ton of stories to tell in this world. But suffice to say that there is a lot. <laughs> There's a lot that, we, that we're incorporating here. So yeah, we've been working on a specific story that she, she is um, building out from the southern kind of nation, one of the southern continents. And in this world, they're basically fighting with a hierarchical, you know, um, empire, if you will. Um, again, I don't want to go too far, that's, but that's the overall plot. Kind of fighting from this fighting this this empire and learning about the propaganda <laughs> of the empire learning uh the truth of what they've done to the continent because it's, it's pretty dastardly um i don't know <laughs> uh, i'll probably talk with her later and we'll, we'll do a podcast together to see how much she's comfortable sharing um but yeah that's a, that's what else i've been working on as well Super excited to get more of that out there, too. Um, yeah, I think that's the main thing there. There's been some drama in my household as well. But, unfortunately, you know, I don't really want to talk about that until, until things pan out. Like, we'll see what happens this weekend. <laughs> um, and I'll update, update you all. Because there's a lot I want to talk about that as well. Um, which I've sort of kind of brought up here and now, here and there, but yeah, but yeah, this this that's been the general updates of my life so far. Um, this is a lot, man. 
a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff we want to do. And uh, all the while, I just keep coming back to like, man, how great would it be if I didn't have to worry about, you know, this or that bill, this or that thing, and just be able to pursue these these interests, right? Um, full, full kind of, full tilt ahead. Like, it'll be so exciting to be able to actually focus on different projects without having to worry about, you know, the feasibility or things like that. Because a lot of times when we when we talk about, you know, what is technically feasible, what we're actually talking about what is is what is, you know, exploitable, <laughs> right? What you can, um, what resources you can exploit and how can you make a profit on that? And, and that's what really kind of bothers me about a lot of technology. We, we, we like to think that we've gained a lot of our technological advancements um, due to the quote-unquote marketplace of ideas and, the, you know, the Silicon Valley capitalism and all this other stuff. But as I always say, you know, a lot of those um, advancements are, number one, not even advancements <laughs> because it's just, you know... It looks fancy on one side, but then it's, it's it's extremely exploitative on the other. So that, you know, the daily experience of that thing is is a net either is it either a net neutral or net negative. It's very rare where a lot of these technology where these technologies are net positive. Um, and then when you also throw in the source the sourcing, right, the supply chains, the supply chain issues, the fact that many of these technologies even the ones that we greatly like we call green energy like for instance solar panels and and batteries right we like to think this is a clear success a clear step forward but unfortunately a lot of these you know materials you know the silicon and the uh and the uh, other kind of rare metals that they use to create these chips and these batteries and things like that they're extremely harmful to the environment and to the people you know creating those things right so first of all um getting them out of the earth is extremely uh problem problematic because that's people's land they're on right people are who are using that land to sustain themselves they just go in buy it off or just you know take it <laughs> and then you know mine for those materials uh there which usually poisons or destroys much of the land um not only that not only that land in that area but it almost always poisons the land immediately outside of it and then miles downwind or upwind or down the river you know things like that and then after you actually take it out of the ground a lot of it is uh extremely intensive to refine in factories so what and you can look this up too like unfortunately a lot of the batteries that we that are created are created in places like china where <laughs> they have intense um refining methods that re, re release a huge amount of carbon dioxide and you know carbon and stuff like that into the atmosphere so a lot of the smog and things like that as you see um in china that they call it the yellow dust in south korea <laughs> that comes from you know these factories um is is due to that right it's due to these factory facilities and, and and manufacturing plants creating all this technology that we use across the world um so we really have to 
consider, <laughs> right? We really have to be critical about the quote-unquote technological advancements because if they come at the cost of our environment, you know, of the cultures, of the peoples, and things and things like that, then I it's hard to say that it's an actual advancement, right? Um, like I've said plenty of times before, it just becomes us borrowing from the future, just taking out a loan that we can't pay back. <laughs> right? We can't really pay back these um, all this carbon dioxide that we've poured into the atmosphere. We can't really take back the massive amounts of deforestation that we use. Um, oh, and that's what I want to talk about too, real quick. Um, while I'm on this topic, is that a huge amount of what I learned about deforestation and, and clear cutting, right? Um, like I, I knew vaguely that people would cut down huge amounts of forests, but I didn't know how how bad it was. Turns out Canada is actually the biggest, like the worst offender of deforestation in the world, even worse than the Amazon, right? So you may have heard about the Amazon being cut down, but it turns out <laughs> the, the, the great forests in Canada have been have been torn down from like like I think it was like 98 or 97 percent of the forests in Canada have been clear cut 97 like it is, just think about that for a second right even worse than like that's huge that's that's terrifying right all these forests have been clear cut and guess what they do right to make matters worse, they don't just clear cut these forests, you know, for various um, furniture and, and building con and construction materials and things like that. They want to make sure that they have some profitable income coming in. So if you if you just clear cut, if you just you know cut down some trees and just leave it there, right? That's kind of a waste. So what they do is cut down a lot of the uh, many of the trees or just cut down yeah cut down many of the trees and leave only the ones that are profitable right <laughs> so i'm terrible with names but say for instance you have an elm tree a beech tree and a um, um an oak tree or whatever right they will cut down the oak and the and the beech tree because they they see those as as um as like weeds they, they call beech trees weeds because oh it's not profitable right it's too soft or whatever right it's too small and they want these elm trees so they will cut down all these other trees and put um herbicides and things like that so they can't grow back and all that will be left is these elm trees but because these forests are not meant to survive on their own like these forests are purposely like we have we have the term biodiversity for a reason right these forests are cooperative so when you cut down all these other trees and you leave only one species, that quote-unquote forest, really that plantation of trees, now becomes extremely fragile. And so any disease, bacteria, you know, um, even uh, like beetles or caterpillars, like any insect that wants to eat the elm trees, just chew through the whole plantation. They chew through the whole plantation. And so they had that's why you have all these problems where you have a a shortage of wood 
because they built these plantations and then one thing you know one little disease or one little <laughs> insect comes by and just eats through the whole thing in a matter of weeks or even days sometimes right and because they planted them all at the same time or whatever that means they can't like it's going to take decades for them to grow back <laughs> so this is a huge problem with you know, clear cutting and, and and having plantations of trees and here here's some some facts because i've learned a lot about trees and i would love to share them i'm not sure how much people know at this point so i've said it before trees are connected turns out the pretty much every tree that exists in the forest is connected right 60% of trees on this earth are connected in, in through micro uh, a buscular micro, micro ah, I can't say the name, but basically a type of mycelium network, right? A type of fungus. Um, and the other 30% of trees are connected through a different fungus, ne fungal network. So all trees that exist in the forest, in the wild, right, are connected through some sort of fungal network. Most of them are on the same network. Now, not that they're connected, like what I mean by the same network is that the same type of fungus connects them in a region, right? Obviously, if a, if a patch of trees or if a forest is disconnected from another forest, then those are two different networks. But all trees in a forest are connected in the same network, right? And this is extremely important because people assumed, right, for a long time that trees were competitive, that they were competing to get the light and to get the water and to get the resources or whatever. But turns out they're not. At least it doesn't seem so. Turns out they're more cooperative. So what they do is, because they're connected through this network, they regularly share resources with other trees. Usually it is of the same species. I grant you that. Right? Like it's usually for the same type of tree that they're, like an elm gives to um, other elm trees and stuff like that. But they still do give resources to trees that's not of their species. They just usually, um, you know, um, kind of bias towards their same species. But in addition to that, right, they have warning kind of um, chemical signals. So whenever a caterpillar, you know, is eating up the leaves of one tree, right, that tree will send out stress signals to warn not only the other leaves on the same tree, right, to release a kind of chemical that makes the leaves um, unappetizing to the to the worm, to the caterpillar, but that chemical signal also gets sent out to the other trees in the vicinity so that they can use the same thing, right? Now, some scientists claim that this is not a intentional form of, you know, communication, but evolution doesn't care about in intent, right? <laughs> cares about what happens so i think the whole argument about oh trees aren't intend to do this so therefore they're not intelligent right we, f we forget that our own intelligence did not necessarily come from intention <laughs> it just came from happenstance right it just came from the fact that oh it just so happened that if you're a social right if you um trust another being to watch your kids or whatever or if you build these clans of uh, of of uh hominids or apes or whatever together then you are stronger right then you last longer then you reproduce more right so the very idea of intelligence being just about intention is kind of you know jumps uh, jumps the gun a little bit there um when we're talking about anyways i'm going down the tangent there but 
that's that's a little frustration because when I was reading through a lot of these articles, you know, you see a lot of all, oh, but remember, they're not intelligent because they don't have a brain. I'm like, hold up now, <laughs> you're taking way too many steps too far here. Just because you don't have a brain doesn't mean that you can't exhibit, you know, what we would deem intelligence. And furthermore, you know, that intelligence can some it, this forces us to redefine what we mean by intelligence, right? If it's only narrowly described as just having a human brain and obviously nothing else will be intelligent but if it's simply solving problems right then many other things will be intelligent in some way or shape or form that means intelligence is a spectrum rather than a you know binary thing but again (laughs) just a little frustration i had when i was reading but um yeah so the these trees if you look at or look around like most of these trees are probably connected underground and it's so densely packed like the, the fungus, the fungal networks that if you like any square inch of soil, you know, can can maintain, can can uh, hold millions of like of, of like distance of millions of what do you call it kilometers or not kilometers, but, you know, I don't know, strings, I guess, worth of worth of fungus with the fungal networks. Right. Usually not on like your lawn, because unfortunately we we've destroyed our lawn so much that it's just a wasteland of (laughs) barely anything can grow but grass but um in a forest in the regular you know healthy ecosystem right there's a incredibly dense connection of wildlife right in which trees you know um have such a powerful place in this in the kind of the, the health of the ecosystem not only do they connect with each other, but they connect with the, you know, the forest at large. So whenever insects go in, right, a lot of the a lot of insects have a symbiotic relationship with the trees, in which the trees might provide um, sap or or um, uh, living arrangements or you know protection from predators or food or whatever, right? In exchange for the insects, you know. Um, pooping <laughs> and providing nitrogen or something like this right i mean granted it, it's not about intention it's about happenstance it's the, it's the fact that by just existing in this network of interconnectedness you can have an incredibly complex symbiotic cooperative relationship right and we've we've have we are so blind and deaf and dumb to this that when we look at a tree, we only see like this this individual creature, but really it's an interconnected creature with every other tree in the vicinity. That's extremely fascinating. That's extremely, I think, just awe-inspiring how interconnected nature is and explains so much about why we don't really understand what's going on with the world, why all these disasters can just strike, right? Like I was reading on social ecology and, and folks like Bookchin and stuff were predicting climate disasters. They were saying, you know, you know capitalism is going to cause this problem, this problem, this problem, right? And it's going to be, you know, become more and more inhospitable for us because of all this. But they actually, they, they predicted that it would take hundreds of years to get to that point. And this was in the 1920s, 1950s guess where we are now <laughs> right Bookchin died in 2006 and he was so sad because of how fast this happened and how wrong he was with his predictions not his predictions being you know actually 
fundamentally wrong, but his predictions being too conservative. He was too conservative in his predictions. He didn't realize how bad it can get how and how quickly. Right? So again, I, I ended up, you know, coming into this kind of alarmism, you know, <laughs> aspect. But I think it's important because, like, if we don't pay attention to what the hell is going on around us, to the, the, the sheer scale of destruction, then we're just going to be caught straight flat-footed. We're just going to be... I hate what's going on with this with this whole meme here, but I'm, I got I've got to say it. we're gonna be Chris we're gonna be Will Smith <laughs> like <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know we have to pay attention to to the environment a lot a lot more. You know, every time you see some people some construction you know folks tearing down a forest in order to put another building, you have to really ask how many things they just destroyed, how many life forms. All right, it wasn't just a couple of trees. It was probably hundreds, if not thousands of life, of life forms. Just destroyed, just like that. Life forms that were giving more to the ecosystem, to the environment in which you live, than you yourself. And certainly more than what that building would supply to the environment or the, the, the economy. All right? The amount of stuff that trees and insects and all these things supply to the environment is just mind-boggling. Like if we had to put a, a cost, a, a dollar amount on everything that, <laughs> you know, different natural items like insects and all this other stuff provide to the, to the environment in terms of quote-unquote value, right? We will be here for, for, for decades trying to calculate it all. Like it's, <laughs> it's truly truly priceless so yeah man it's it's just like the more I learn about everything right but especially nature um the more concerning I am I I get the more concerned I get about what we're doing and I I do mean that I do let me let me preface this when I say what we're doing what I really mean is what, you know, the capitalists are doing, what the people in power are doing. And this is a big thing that I've learned from, that I'm learning from Bookchin and social ecology as well, right? We tend to over kind of generalize this stuff. And this is something I tried to address in my story. Um, but we tend to over generalize. We tend to say, oh, this is what we're doing. This is what humans have done. Humans have destroyed everything, blah, 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 blah. And it becomes a very, you know, anthro, um, what do you call that word? Sheesh, I forget it now. Misanthropic. There we go. It becomes a very misanthropic, misanthropic, whatever, um, argument, mentality, where people begin to hate other people. But guess what? It's not me and you doing this, right? Like, I haven't cut down a tree in my life. Like, <laughs> right? I've probably planted more trees in gardens, just, just gardening, you know, than <laughs> I've ever harmed, right? And that's the same for, for any of us. The people at fault is not all of us. The people at fault are those with the power to say, yes, let's cut down that force, right? <laughs> Those with the power to 
cause so much destruction and implore so little empathy and implore so little awareness, so little care for the consequences of their actions. Right? And that's deeply concerning. Because if you have like a family or siblings or friends, right? If one of them, you know, um, destroys the toilet in your house, right? If you're your kid or your sibling, whatever, destroys the toilet in your house, you're going to be like, hey, you need to fess up to that consequence. Like, you're going <laughs> to punish them or, you know, teach them or you're going to do something, right? And in which to, to show, to make sure they understand that they can't just be, you know, causing a mess in the bathroom and not cleaning up after themselves, right? It's absolutely ridiculous to even, you know, <laughs> um, imagine that we won't, like, make people see their own consequences, right? In fact, many people get all up in arms because people say, oh, these, these kids these days are entitled. They don't face the consequences of their actions, right? <laughs> and yet... And yet, those same people are probably entrepreneurs. Right? Those same people are probably construction managers and, um, you know, capitalists basically overall that are making decisions every day that says, yes, let's cut down this thing. Let's use these resources. Let's buy all this product and not really thinking about the consequences. Right? Especially this is especially for the politicians, you know, the corporate shareholders, specific industries like the oil and gas and construction, right? There's specific people that are that are at fault for a lot of the problems that we face today. And instead of them actually facing the the those consequences or even being accountable those consequences we just pit on everybody else we say oh it's humanity's problem right we're all just evil we're all just greedy <laughs> when in reality most of us are just trying to you know live life <laughs> most of us are trying to just try to you know get some food you know have babies or whatever right like <laughs> most people are not doing this stuff this is the problem of of fake individualism right we claim it's each individual per- person's fault for wanting to live in a society and therefore they're participating in all this other stuff. But at the same time, we want to collectify, we want to collectivize the, the, the consequences and the accountability. We say it's always everybody's fault instead of actually pointing out the individuals that are causing the most problems. Right? Mm-hmm. Furthermore, it's a problem of context. It's a problem of, I want to say this, like a lack of systematic thinking, right? The idea that people are the way they are, like there's some inherent human nature or inherent, you know, um, behavior that people do. Like, hey, we all, you know, are using, you know, we are eating beef and therefore, you know, um, we are inherently, you know, unsustainable right? because beef is is a very luxurious kind of meat, right? The fact that you can eat beef every day is extremely unrealistic and unsustainable, right? By saying, oh, you know, the fact that everybody eats beef, everybody wants beef, you know, that means we're all greedy. But in reality, 
the desires that we have as consumers, right, are largely in, are largely influenced by the availability of those resources in the first place. That's what people, a lot of people, right, are kind of reluctant to admit that a lot of our desires are not intrinsic, <laughs> right? They're not some, uh, some, you know, indelible, you know, thing that we that we just have within us. Like when you're born, you automatically want all the beef and all the all the products that we have today. Like no, <laughs> a baby when it's born does not desire for you know all these super fast cars and all this other stuff. Like this, this that's not how it works. Our desires are largely extrinsic. We have internal tr- desires, right, of belonging, of wanting to belong in a in a group, right, of wanting to maybe have some purpose or this, that, and the other, right, things like that. But the desire for to buy a product, right, to live a certain lifestyle, that is completely contingent upon the culture, upon the the quote-unquote civilization the society that you live in so the fact that our society makes norms of exploitive things of products that are built on unsustainable and completely you know ecocidal practices means that we have been indoctrinated to desire these things we have been indoctrinated to believe that this is how life should be. That this is how, you know, what we should want from life. But if we build a society, right? And it doesn't mean starting from scratch. We can change. Like, people can change. Like, when people move from one place to another, you have a moment of culture shock. But then you adjust. You adjust to the new norms. You say, okay, this is my new normal. This is now what I want. I don't want all the other stuff. Like, you know. So the fact that you don't you don't you don't have to start from blank. You don't have to start from scratch. We can build a society from today's society in which a lot of the resources that we have today are maybe not available all the time. All right? And that will be okay. It's going to be okay. All right? So long as we can, you know, eat and you know live comfortably and find people to enjoy our time with and have some purpose in our life you know things like that everything else will be fine <laughs> right we can figure the rest out we can adjust we don't have to eat beef every day we don't have to you know cut down trees every day we don't have to you know <laughs> get the latest and greatest computers half of which you know don't even work half the time like it, we, <laughs> it's going to be okay we can adjust and those are the kinds of things that I want to, you know, encourage more of. I want to change, you know, help try to change the culture to make us realize that a lot of the luxuries and the lifestyle benefits that we have in our current society are not actually things that we deeply care about. We say we do, but that changes the minute, you know, the context changes, the minute the overall environment changes. Right? Once we adjust to that new norm, then most of us will be like, oh yeah, this is this is great. <laughs> and if anything, we, we will benefit once we see that, you know, a lot of the cost of these things doesn't come from the, you know, doesn't cost us our children or doesn't cost us, you know, our health or it doesn't cost us our sanity. Right? So anyways, yeah. I'll end it there. I meant to keep this short, but I just, you know. <laughs>
sometimes I just get going. Yeah. <laughs> As always, thanks for listening. Um, let me know what you think. Um, what you're thinking, what you learned or didn't learn or whatever. <laughs> and um, let's let's do better. You know, let's build something together and let's keep it moving. Thanks as always and have a great day. See ya. Bye-bye.